stories from around the corner and around the country. You're listening to All the Best. Proudly supported by the Art Gallery of New South Wales. Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording from stolen Gadigal land and pay my respect to Gadigal elders, past and present, as well as recognise that the area where FBI radio is situated, Redfern, has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance and resilience for First Nations communities. Hey, I'm Danny Stewart, and you're listening to All the Best on FBI 94.5. Last Saturday marked International Day of People with Disability, and in this episode, we're sharing stories that challenge perceptions of what disability looks like, as well as recognizing the grinding reality of being disabled in an inaccessible society a reality which is often not acknowledged and poorly understood. My whole life, I thought that everyone else had a rule book for how to live and no one had given me a copy. I felt like I struggled so much with things that came naturally to everyone else and I didn't know why. Then, after things really fell apart around the time I started uni, A trail of different psychologists and specialists finally led to the answer, autism. Autism is referred to as an invisible disability, and people who meet me briefly probably wouldn't suspect anything, because I put a lot of effort into hiding it. Those of us who are punished more harshly for not following social norms learn to mask our autistic traits from a really young age. So it's not that I'm hiding it on purpose necessarily, but it's been a defence mechanism that has been my default for so long that it's hard to stop. But masking autism is exhausting. I'm constantly thinking about my facial expression, my body language, and what I'm saying, as well as holding in the discomfort caused by existing in a world full of noises, smells, and bright light that I can't filter out. The toll of the energy this takes up leads to meltdowns, And if an autistic person has a meltdown in front of other people, then our autism is suddenly very visible. There are so many disabilities like autism that might not be apparent at first glance, but become pretty noticeable in environments that are inaccessible. In our first story, All the Best production manager Phoebe speaks to her friend Sam, about the complexity of the seen-unseen disability binary and his experience working as an actor with impaired vision. I'm a vision impaired slash legally blind um, actor and theatre maker from Australia but currently living and working in the United Kingdom. And your vision impairment is something that was identified very, very early on in your life. Is that right? My parents probably started noticing when I was one or two and I'd sort of crawl closer towards the television to watch something or things like that, small small occurrences like that. And they're like, hang on a second, what's going on here? Okay, so you grew up always with an understanding of having a diagnosis? Yes, yeah, yeah. And I think, again, with you, you understand you have a diagnosis and within that framework, I think it's... 
it's it's a different form of booze of like getting diagnosed older because I think you then split your time trying to fit into a non-disabled world a lot more because you feel, or for me personally, I can't speak for other disabled people, you feel like a bit of an outlier. Mm. So you will effectively try to adapt for them. Like I can make eye contact with people, but it doesn't really make a difference to me. But I'll do it for the sake of putting other people at ease because I know that's how most people communicate. Mm. So how... How do you become aware that eye contact is something that puts other people at ease if it's not something that puts yourself at ease? Is that literally just through external feedback or things you pick up from encounters with people? Um, I think that's interesting. I think if you asked me a little while ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I'd have a bit of issue with prolonged eye contact. But it's definitely something that societal you pick up, you know what I mean? Like it's in metaphors of how to connect with people it's in mm. it's about connection right like people always say like oh they are their eyes that so whatever you know there's always those metaphors around eyes and closeness and looking at people looking at things eyes of the window to the soul that's it yeah that one um which you know sure um but also i think a lot of communication we do and have is very very much predicated on the world we exist in and you know we i'd say we are a there's a phrase I heard called ocular normativity. Mm. And I think there is a tendency where we all experience the world visually first. Like I still have some quote unquote useful vision and I will still rely on my eyesight a lot of the time to get me through places. That being said, it doesn't always help me get through places, you know, like it's because it will fail me sometimes. What do you see when you look at me? Um, well, in the studio now, I've got like a macro image of where your face is where your eyes are i'd say it's more shadowy slits and then oh, i would add to this though the brain fills in a lot of stuff like i've known phoebe for since 2013 14 maybe and so i i know what phoebe looks like because i've interacted with her a lot and also you can pick up a lot from people's movement the way they carry themselves i know what phoebe's hair looks like but to me it's quite like this backward shadow against the contrast of her like white skin on her face where your mouth is i can kind of see that there's some shadow that distinguishes like it's in a different area of your face but that's that's kind of it and then out the window to my left i can tell that there are cars going by because i can see the movement but then also my brain knows that there are cars going by because we're beside a street Mm. that is so interesting how the brain fills in that information Mm. so would you say that because your brain is filling in the image, your what what is it drawing from? It's drawing from memory. Is it are you drawing from other senses as well? I would say the biggest sense to draw from is for me personally is physical, like kinesthetic sort of senses. You know, if I've walked in a space and I'm like, oh, I'm aware these things are here. And also, you know, you know that sensation when we were talking about like eye contact before, like you can tell, or at least maybe I'm also incredibly paranoid, which I de- definitely am, but you can tell when people are like looking at you or, you know, in my work in like theatre and stuff like that, I can tell if I'm in like a lobby of a theatre and I'm having a conversation with somebody and that person is looking over my shoulder for somebody who's more higher up the rungs in terms of the pecking order of like the theatre world is happening. You know, I might be able to see where they're looking, but I can be, okay, that sensation of them now you know like being at a party and somebody looking for the toilet you can tell that sensation in people so something that uh you've also touched on when you've talked to me about being someone who's vision impaired Hmm. you know in the world at large is that people don't 
always immediately know that you are experiencing the world <sighs> differently in terms of what you can and can't see. Yeah, I think they're in that kind of like ocular centric sort of stuff in a world of like, you know, I went to the University of Sydney, I would describe myself as reasonably quote unquote woke in a sort of spectrum of that. You know, I, I realize, you know, my appearance is like the hegemony. I'm a, I'm a white cis man. But then in the same sense, like I, I need I need to say this for context because um, as a disabled person, there's a thing that people like to do where they break down the version of disabilities into binaries, invisible and visible disabilities. And that's just silly because everyone, humans love binaries and that's just a silly thing because one person's like uh, impairment can flare up at one point and then it becomes more visible, whereas another person's could be completely dormant and you wouldn't realize it. So for example, for me, in kind of operating that sense, like you know, I'm, I'm like 30 years old now. I know that I don't like going to house parties where it's like flashing lights and stuff like that. But if I was like 22, I'd be like, well, yeah, let's go. I love this. And I'd try and push through that. Whereas, you know, now I'm getting to the, the grumpy years of my life. I have no desire to do that. Yeah. Uh, so you're saying that um, that binary is super unhelpful because it stops people realizing that disability can be something that evolves and changes for any individual person, as well as looking like all kinds of different things. 100%. I think also what I would say as well in that sense of what the invisible aspects of my disability, I, and I've said this to you before, Phoebe, I don't like, like I can read, but I read very closely with the phone incredibly close to my face. I think when I was trying to describe the context of being a white cis man on public transport with a phone close to my face, I ha also have this paranoia that I'm looking like a creep taking photos of people. And I have been... I got off at Redfern Station. I still remember this maybe like 10 years ago where I was just texting somebody on my phone and a guy started screaming at me God. across the thing. He was like, don't you dare take photos of me. Don't you dare take... And it sort of like got off the station. He just kept on screaming at me, kept on. And I was just like, I can't see. I can't see. What do you want? Um, and that and that's sort of interesting again because we can also talk about the gendered nature of that as well where I know if I use my cane and I only really use my cane to signify that I'm vision impaired. And I might need it, say, if I'm walking through London in the middle of the winter where it's incredibly dark. What I've noticed is especially when you're around like your real like drunk, aggro kind of men in a space is if I don't have my cane, you know, they'll interact with me in the same way that they'd interact with any young adult male where they might want to fight you or say something to you or blah, blah, blah. As soon as I pull out my cane, I'm not a threat. Would you say that's making your disability more visible, yes. more obvious yep. to the outside world? And it must be a difficult thing because so often you're choosing to do that for other people's benefit as opposed to for your own. Would that be right? It's not because you'd necessarily need to bring up the cane for yourself. It's that you need someone to be able to recognise yeah, yes, absolutely. I think that there's also a sense of self-preservation. Like I might be walking down the street. Again, as I said, if I'm using my phone, I had an incident outside Goldsmiths University, which is a university in South London, uh, Southeast London, and I was looking at my phone and like some road man drove by and he was like, get, you know, effing glasses. Like what the, what the F are you doing? And it's just like, ugh. And if I just pulled out my cane or I just don't use my phone out in public, um, that's the thing. And it is it is often to for other people. But also you'd notice if I have my cane out, like people just move out of the way. Mm. It's like parting the Red Sea. Yeah, because we had an experience um, 
just before we both came back from the UK to Australia, we went to see a Punch Drunk show. Um, and Punch Drunk is an immersive theatre company that takes over enormous spaces and puts on very ambitious performative work. So could you <laughs> recount what it was like um, for you experiencing that show? I can. And I think it's also important to highlight here, no organisation if I call them up and say, hey, I'm a vision impaired person coming to see this show, they're not going to be like, mm, don't know if this one's for you. Don't know if you're really going to enjoy this one, mate. And, you know, I was like, look, I'll be coming with my friend Phoebe um, and she'll be like audio describing stuff for me that might be happening in the room because I still, you know, you still, there's still a vibe. There's still performers moving around. There's still like tempo and rhythm going on that I can pick up. And I'm like, oh, what's that? That's really interesting. I, I would then say the issue that happened was I spoke to their access team and like, yeah, absolutely, come also go in. But the, the way that this environment is sort of set up is you have all these stage managers who are all wearing like these eyes eyes wide shut style masks. And at the very beginning of it, it's like, you will not talk. You will experience this in some crazy way. And it, it sort of like sets up this atmosphere where everyone has to be silent and at the behest of the entire organization. So what ended up happening is stuff was going on. I might lean into Phoebe and Phoebe might like whisper, this is going on. Like, oh, they're doing a circle or they're, they're moving this thing. Oh, this piece of set is a letter that's addressed to Odysseus or something like that. Um, and then throughout that, stage managers would come up and be like, shh, shh, shh. And that sort of wears on you. And I understand it. And then there was a moment uh, where we were sort of watching the climax of this show that was like this big movement piece. The actors were running around in circles and pulling all these abstract movements, which I can still enjoy, but I still needed context when there was like minor detail in it. Like uh, someone got their eyes gouged out or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> minor uh, detail. Yeah, yeah, minor detail. Minor, but, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to pick up on that. And Phoebe's telling me what's happened in this audience member behind us. Just, I'm not sure if they're audience or stage manager, um, but they kept going, you need to be quiet. You must be quiet. And that was just infuriating me. Like, and I literally just turned around and just went, shut the F up. I'm effing blind. Like, I got really angry. And people say, well, you shouldn't have gotten angry. But I think that terminology I always use for this sort of stuff is because no one's picking up on this. I, 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 people talk about microaggressions. I like to use the phrase like dog whistles because dog whistles are something that only I'm going to pick up or a person from a different lived experience is going to pick up in those forms of minor things that happen. And they don't necessarily like set you off in a rage immediately, but enough of those frequencies at that pitch that only you can hear that happen over and over and over again. I think it's completely understandable when somebody just goes, ah! But then at the end, what was annoying, I spoke to one of their, and I found this a bit annoying, but at the end when we went out and spoke, I was like, hey, this was my experience in this space. I didn't necessarily have a good time. The suggestion was, and they, they, again, they were trying to be helpful, but they were like, oh, well, we could give you a card that you could produce if everyone wants you, it comes up to you and be, it tells you to be quiet. And I'm just like, well, I don't really, I, I don't want to have to signify it. It's not anyone's business what my medical condition is. And the idea of having this card that I have to produce to explain myself is very just, you know, I, I, I kind of enjoy anonymity. And that's like kind of a sensation why I don't often use my cane. Because as soon as you use a cane, eyes are drawn to you. What is this anomaly in this space right now? I'd say my general moral for all this kind of stuff is 
if you see somebody doing something that you find odd or different, it's probably fine and you don't need to comment or engage with it. Is there any other kind of comment or advice that you would give for people who might go, oh, I've definitely made that mistake before? Um, are there other kind of, I guess, small perspective changes that we could all take on board? If that person calls you out about it mm. and usually the attitude is, oh, I didn't know. And I think, you know, in a small L liberal society that we live in here, I think there's a tendency, you know, people will be like, I'm not racist. I'm not racist. They'll make it about themselves. Or I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a misogynist. And it's, I didn't, didn't mean to offend. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't mean to offend or something. But the, th the issue with that is it's, you're immediately making it about you. Mm. And that 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 anxiety that you know the the white liberal anxiety that exists in so many of us, it's always about you. Like organisations have been putting in all these like steps and measures and stuff like that to try and address equality and discrimination, but it's still very much about their own image. Whereas I think what is more useful and more like if I you know again I came from like broad left activism back at Sydney University. And one of the things that sort of taught me was, and, you know, nobody wants to say this, but if somebody calls you racist, you really need to reevaluate and be like, you know what? I probably was being racist mm. or I probably was being ableist. And if you're like, well, no, actually, here's the context for this. It's like, you don't know. Mm. You're probably not an expert. And if you are an expert, well, then you probably find it a lot easier to relinquish the fact that you are, have been discriminatory or have been like, slightly, what's the word I'm looking for here? Just wrong in that situation. That story was produced by Phoebe Adler-Ryan. You're listening to All the Best on FBI 94.5. I'm Danny Stewart. All the Best is a great place to learn the art of audio storytelling. Never made a story before? No problem. No experience is required. If you'd like to make a story for the show, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com. This week, stories of disability, seen and unseen. Next up, Jess explores what it means to live with chronic pain. And a heads up that this story includes visceral descriptions of pain. Please listen with care. It's like a big cyclone, you know, cyclone gathers everything in, it sweeps it all in, sucks it in, you're right in the centre of it. There's no getting out of it. <laughs> I get shooting pains in my head, just like a, a bullet going through your head. It's just a creepy, crawling sensation and you couldn't sit still no matter what. This is the reality for people who suffer from chronic pain. Neve O'Dwyer is a pharmacist who helps people with chronic pain with their medications. Chronic pain is generally pain that will last longer than three months. It's about one in five Australians, but as you get older, the likelihood increases. Narita Lewis's chronic pain journey began in 2014, just before her 30th birthday. She is now developing Jaspin, a platform that will support people through their pain journey.
Chronic pain, it's also referred to as persistent pain. It's actually one of the most misunderstood and neglected health issues. Chronic pain is very much an umbrella term and there's quite a few conditions that fall under that category. I'm visiting my neighbour, Dalma Rec, on her farm in regional Queensland. Little wiggy wagtail, good big mouth. That's what gives me a lot of joy <laughs> is the little birds are in the place. She needs the joy the birdsong brings her because she has back pain and calcific tendonitis in her arms. Currently in her 60s, Dharma has lived with chronic pain for decades. I had four children and I never cried, but with this I was sobbing the time I got in there. Calcium is like a grit, you know, like toothpaste, and that's what causes such intense pain. To remove that calcium off the tendons, the doctor told me the only way they could do it was scrape it off with a knife, and that would be like trying to scrape china off rubber. What caused it? Injury from working. You know, the doctor said because I was a slim frame, it would uh, tear and then the calcium would go there to repair it. Neve says chronic pain can be caused by injuries, surgeries and much more. Sometimes there is no physical cause. It just happens. It's very debilitating and it has a huge impact on people's quality of life and it leaves them feeling very isolated as well from their friends and their family, especially because often what happens is they can't participate in the activities that they normally would, which can also lead to things like depression and anxiety and also things like sleeping problems and fatigue as well. Other conditions can make chronic pain even more unbearable. Delma has restless legs syndrome, which limits her sleep, combined with her back and arm pain. She says sometimes coping feels impossible. I have got up in the middle of the night with my legs and I have done 30 k's on the bike some nights. I do 10 k's and think I'll go back to bed and I'll go to sleep because movement helps your legs. I'll just get back to bed and just about go to sleep and bang, they go again. And uh, I just get up and do some more. When I had my back surgery, one night here I was in that much pain and I tried to lie down. I couldn't because of my restless legs. So despite all the pain and everything, I had to get up and walk. And I just walked and Fred walked with me because he, he was very worried. And uh, I just had tears streaming down my face because I didn't know what to do. How much sleep do you get? Two good hours, and after that, you know, just little bits and pieces I could snatch. I, I don't think anyone would believe it unless they were here and seen me. So many aspects of chronic pain are completely invisible. Dalma says her grandkids don't understand. They always say now, oh, my back, nanny, my back's sore. <laughs> but they sort of complain about the same things as I complain about. You ask them to do a job sometimes and they'll say, oh, my back, nanny, <laughs> my back. And I suppose I used to nanny saying, oh, my back. This lack of understanding goes beyond children. From her experience with four chronic pain conditions, Narita knows this all too well. If I shaved my head and had a wheelchair, I would have had so much more support and empathy. 
when a person looks okay, they may not be feeling okay. So that's the challenge with invisible conditions. What's the solution? There is no cure. It's finding what you enjoy and it helps you manage your pain levels and every single person is unique. Dalma says she's tried everything. There's nothing sort of new out there, you know, as far as exercise goes, I've done all that. The food bit, I've looked at that. Aquapuncture and herbs, you know, all that natural stuff. None of it worked and the only answer is this medication from the doctor. As a pharmacist, Neve says one of the biggest misconceptions about chronic pain is that medication is always the answer. We have other health professionals, so things like GPs, um, nutritionists, dietitians, physiotherapists, because um, often with these patients, it really is uh, a team-based approach. It doesn't always have to be about a tablet. It's often that a pill is not going to fix it. And we need to involve a lot of other members of the healthcare team to help manage it. Narita says those with chronic pain need to try multiple treatments at once. Chronic pain is such a beast. It's like slaying a dragon. You need full armor kit. So you need to come at it with, you know, at least three different plans of attack. There are options outside of medication. Narita's company, Jaspin, is launching in 2022. Our vision is to eliminate social isolation and decrease societal stigma for people living with persistent pain through the power of art and technology. So what this means is we want to help people to feel less alone. Both Narita and Delma say there's more to life than their chronic pain. There does actually come a point, though, where the good times outweigh the bad. It can just take a while. I've survived so far. And I think I will because I've got family I love. You know, they're everything. I've learnt that chronic pain is a lifelong battle, a cyclone, a beast. While there is no cure, there is support, innovation, hope. That story was produced by Jess Laban. All the best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past and present. All the best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri Woiwurrung and Boomerang lands and 8CCC on Arunda and Warramungu lands. The All The Best Editorial Manager is Mel Chun. Phoebe Adler-Ryan is our Production Manager and our Social Media Producer is Timothy Nguyen. Lydia Yosefova is our Community Coordinator and Madhura Prakash is our Trainee. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Danny Stewart. Thanks for listening.